Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. Today on Millionaire, we're going to talk about Real Estate 101, how to negotiate like a pro, and can you make money, can you make wealth, real wealth in America without a college degree? Well, that and much more on the Backyard Millionaire. Think about that quite a bit. You know, you think about me. Look, college is wonderful. I do not want my attorney to be practicing through experience alone. I don't want surgeons and engineers building bridges based on hunches and and a gut feeling, of course. But when you think about real wealth creation, if you're holding yourself back for even a moment for the absence of a college degree, I've got a few things that I'd like to share with you on how to create wealth where you are with what you've got, making your own PhGGED i.e. no college degree. So can you make wealth? Can you create wealth? Can you keep and create wealth in America today without a college degree? And of course the answer is yes. I mean, and I'm not even going to go to the obvious stories like Zuckerberg and, you know, the Bill Gates and the people that have dropped out of college and made fortunes, jobs and Wozniak. All of, I'm not going to leave the tech billionaires and the, the Biebers out of it and just simply talk about what could you do right now where you are with what you've got to increase the odds of creating wealth in your own backyard well first of all would be to develop in-demand skills so if you want to improve increase your current income increase your set of skills make yourself more valuable to the marketplace and if you do that you can't help but create more money. And with that more money, with more capital, will come more opportunities to invest it. Also, you can create an entrepreneurial mindset. If you'll simply adopt an entrepreneurial mindset, a self-employed mindset, even if you retain your job and maintain your employment currently, which is always a good idea, you know, you're holding on to one branch above you, but you're kind of hanging on to the other one for a little while. Don't let go till you have a firm grasp on that next branch up. And then you can let go of it. But it's about innovation and an entrepreneurial mindset. How many times have you had an idea, but you didn't act on it? How many times have you seen an idea pl- take place in the marketplace? And you go, hmm, son of a nutcracker, I thought of that. But you didn't take action. You didn't do something because maybe your mindset wasn't aimed towards entrepreneurialism and innovation. So, so work on those things. And the best way to work on becoming who it is you'd like to become is to begin to visualize, imagine, envision yourself as somebody who is an innovator. And you'll become one. And it's all about your mindset. That's where it starts. Continuous learning and self-improvement. Lifelong learning. During his administration, Bill Clinton said a lot of things. The one thing that I recall with gratitude is he said, become a lifelong learner. And I agree with that. Becoming a lifelong learner and somebody who works on self-improvement, rather than wishing things were better, become better, said Jim Rohn. Don't wish things were better, become better. Don't wish you were smarter, read more. Don't wish you had more opportunities, look for them, find them. 
Another way to create wealth in America without a college degree is to build strong professional networking relationships. You've got to be able to have, maintain, and build relationships. You probably have the current employment, job, career, opportunity you've got now based on a lot of your own skills and strengths. However, I would guess that the major underpinning involved a relationship that you'd cultivated at some point. So work on those. And, and I love to, to tell people to be, become curious. Become the curious cat who cannot get enough information. Ask questions from a place of wanting to learn rather than questioning what somebody actually thinks or knows or says. But you, your questions come from a place of, I, I really want to know more. I want to establish myself in the marketplace of ideas. And to do so, I must maintain a curiosity level that every day I'm learning. Building a professional relationship. It goes, those two go hand in hand. Building relationships and lifelong learning and self-improvement. Might as well be just one idea. And financial discipline is something else you can employ in a, in a severe way such that even absent a college degree or some specialty trade, you can employ some financial discipline. This is not to say that you employ the latte factor, although that is an interesting book, and a friend of mine co-wrote it. John David Mann co-wrote it with David Bach, and I like the concept. I like the concept of becoming conscious of where you spend your money. Uh, Ramit Sethi, or Sethi also has a question he asks people that he's advising about what is your rich life look like? What does that look like? And if your rich life includes having four, five, and six dollar coffees daily, then you ought to do it. If, however, you find there are places in your life that you're wasting money, like how many apps do you have that you don't even realize you're paying for? I use one in, in the real estate business called Onyx. Onyx. And it shows you GPS coordinated in relationship to property, where the property lines are. We use it in the real estate business constantly, not for hunting, but for, well, yeah, hunting for corners, hunting for boundaries, hunting for where is this property actually physically located as I'm aiming towards a corner. I can walk myself right to it, typically with this Onyx app. I was encouraging my father the other night to uh, download the app. I thought he would really enjoy it. And he said, how much is it? And I said, it's free. He goes, oh, well, that's interesting. And so he goes to download it and he says, wait a minute, Chris. It's offering me a free week. It's not free. So I turned to Tiffany and go, do I pay for this? Do we pay for this? How many of those kinds of apps do you have on your phone in your life that you're not even remembering, recalling, or aware that you're paying for? Those kinds of things, becoming conscious to your budget, 100%. I agree with that. Remember, though, you cannot save your way to wealth. You can invest your way to wealth only if you learn to save. Those things go hand in hand. So being frugal, not having your coffee, not having what you consider to be a good life or rich life isn't going to get you there. But it is going to grease the skids with which you're riding to wealth if you learn to save. And then what's the other component of that? Investing. So having some financial discipline such that you can make choices to invest. You can decide, I want to pick up that other property. I do want to invest in the addition onto the back of my house to make this into a full-on duplex or i'm going to renovate the garage and turn it into what's called an accessory dwelling unit so can you earn can you create and keep wealth in america without a college degree absolutely it depends on your outlook it's not what happens but rather it's what you do that changes everything 
So that's a key phrase. It's not what happens, it's what you do. What happens is about the same. You might put that in parentheses here. Same. What people do, that's what's different. Anything can happen, right? Everything can happen. I've heard all the stories. I've been one of the stories. Hey, we could all tell stories all night long, right? Happenings. Anything can happen. Have you heard of Murphy's Laws? Anybody here heard of Murphy's Laws? Okay, most of you have. Murph had these laws. One of them was, if anything can go wrong, it will. That's one of Murphy's Laws. He was not one of the great positive speakers of the day. But anyway, <laughs> it's still true though, right? Anything can go wrong, everything can go wrong. For sure. I've fallen out of the sky so many times. Once to the tune of a couple of million. Devastating. Took me a while to survive that one. Now, it wasn't all that much, but it was all I had. Right? I mean, that's when it's much, right? When it's all you got. If you got three to go, you got one left. You ain't looking that bad. But when it all goes. Has anybody been there when it all went? Anybody? Come on, the rest of you liars. <laughs> hey, we've all been there, right? When it all went. Of course, it used to be a long time ago, right? When you ran out of money, got to zero, you were all through. Heck, now you can whistle right on by zero, right? I mean, <laughs> they will bury you. That's what they will do. But see, those are the happenings, right? Everything can happen. Anything can happen. But it's not the happenings. It's what you do about it. Somebody says, yeah, but you don't understand the disappointments I've had. Come on. Everybody's had their share. Disappointments are not special gifts reserved for the poor. Everybody has them. The difference is what you do about them. It's not the weather. I used to blame the weather and I discovered it rains on the rich. So see, that won't help. Two men wake up one morning, there's a rainstorm on. One of them looks out his window, sees the rainstorm, and he says, Wow, what a storm! With weather like this, they can't expect you to go out and make sales. He stays home. <laughs> same morning, the other guy looks out his window, sees the same storm, says, Wow, what a storm! But he says, You know what, with weather like this, what a great day to go out and make sales. Most everybody will probably be home. Especially the salesmen. <laughs> Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the rest, directs you where to go So make the best of this test and don't ask why It's not a question but a lesson learned in time It's something unpredictable you're listening to The Mackyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth Where You Are with What You've Got. That was the late, great Jim Rohn. He had such great ideas, but not just ideas, but the way he conveyed those ideas. What an incredible speaker he was. I've watched all of the tapes available of Jim Rohn through the 80s and the 90s, all available on YouTube. If you want a really inspiring hour, watch some of uh, Jim Rohn on YouTube. I think it'll inspire you. When we come back, I'm going to have Ronald Reagan in his own words. Also, did you ear and Real Estate 101 when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. 
Direct from Homer, Alaska. Don't panic. Just come up with a good story. Here's the host of Backyard Millionaire, Chris Story. You know, I was thinking about Paul Harvey earlier this week. I think about Paul Harvey a lot, actually. Loved him. Loved his information. I loved his voice. I loved his storytelling. And I loved being influenced by him. And it occurred to me that at one time on the planet speaking to Americans and truly speaking to the world, Ronald Reagan and Paul Harvey existed. They didn't share a microphone per se, but they, they sort of did in a, in a way. In fact, I'd go further and say they shared a megaphone of prosperity, a megaphone of opportunity and the greatness of America. Ronald Reagan, in his own words, said, government's view of the economy could be summed up in a few short phrases. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. <laughs> Clear, concise. I was talking to somebody earlier today who is in his own backyard going to be opposing, putting up some ideas against some development that's going to be happening that he sees shaping, reshaping, recharacterizing the community. And I said, one thing you'll want to be careful of as you go down this trail is the message getting lost in a thousand threads of the sweater. And pretty soon, nobody can remember why they started knitting or unknitting the sweater. So you have to, but, but Reagan had such a way of communicating that like Jim Rohn, like Paul Harvey, again, all three sharing the national stage at the same time is, is pretty amazing. It's a little bit like the Beatles and the Stones and the Doors all coming up in the same era. And it's like, there's like this kismet of opportunity in the universe that if you're a witness to it, you're so much like you're so much luckier than maybe a generation behind or ahead of it that didn't get an opportunity to see that. I did. I get to I got to see Ronald Reagan. I got to see Paul Harvey. I got to see the, the Jim Rohn type speakers. And my dad would come home from a conference talking about Herb Cohen, the great negotiator. By the way, coming up on the program, we will be doing Negotiate This, inspired by the legend himself, Herb Cohen. Back to Ronald Reagan, his own words. He said, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, and I know some of you are going to be able to mouth these words right along with me. Again, Ronald Reagan, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Lastly, not lastly, of course, but lastly on my list to share with you right now from Ronald Reagan is freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We did not pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on to them so that they can do the same. Did you hear? No, I said that correctly. Did you hear? Well, it was a dark, star-filled night in December. The year was 1888. Paul and his friend were both artists, both relatively unsuccessful. And that's being kind. Paul and his friend got into a heated fight, a debate, an argument. Ultimately, one friend, Paul's friend, pulled out a razor and he threatened Paul. Fearing for his life, Paul retreated. He spent the night in a hotel. He figured his friend would calm down and he could go back and see him the next day. Well, when he did see his friend the next day, he noticed that his friend's ear was bandaged. Remarkably, 
bandaged. Well, the friend was Paul Gauguin, and he would spend the rest of his life knowing for his very short life that Paul Gauguin had witnessed Vincent van Gogh in a very bad state, and suddenly Vincent, for no other reason, no extricable reason at all, cut off his own ear. Nobody could explain it. However, Vincent van Gogh did suffer from mental illness his entire life. This is not a mystery. Did you know also Vincent van Gogh painted over 900 works of art in his life? And would it surprise you to know he only sold one of them? With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snowy linen land Now I understand What you tried to say to me Van Gogh is one of my favorite painters. His work is just atrocious in some ways. When you think about it, it's like, what? Did a child paint this? And yet it's genius. Absolute genius. His life, a tragedy, though. Perhaps they'll listen now. Starry, starry night. So I guess maybe what I'm saying is I'm just so blessed to not have that talent, right? That The madness that comes with that kind of talent. Maybe that's actually the real moral of that story. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth, Where You Are, With What You've Got, Real Estate 101. In the words of famous people maybe you've never heard of, like David Warnaker, he said, buy real estate in areas that paths exist, and then buy more real estate where there is no path, but you can create one. It's interesting because a lot of times throughout history, the easy, the low-hanging fruit gets gobbled up. But it's the creative people. It's the people that would go on to create massive wealth are actually creating new paths and finding fruit higher up on the tree and creating a path all their own. Lewis Glickman said the best investment on earth, earth. (laughs) And Will Rogers famously said, don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Here's a little song I wrote to my one singing note for note, so don't worry, be happy. In every life we have some trouble, when you want you make it double, so don't worry, and be happy, don't worry, be happy now, Are you breathing deep enough? Do you know the benefits of deep breathing on your health, your mind, your mindset? Your entire body can be benefited by actually having the true and the real breath of life. And that means you've got to be deep breathing and consciously breathing, diaphragmatically breathing. I've been public speaking for a long time. And so one of the earliest books I read on the matter Uh, talked about diaphragmatic breathing. I've been doing it ever since and just really consciously daily. It's part of my morning routine is to do a lot of deep breathing along with some calisthenics and some stretching first thing in the morning 
And all the while, and this is just my routine, this is just what gets me going, is that I go through a list of things that I'm grateful for. I call it my gratitude prayer. And while I'm doing that, I'm doing super deep breathing. Well, here's just a few benefits of deep breathing. First of all, it helps reduce stress and anxiety by activating your body's relaxation response system. Deep, full, deep breathing. And you know it when you feel your lungs fully expand. It also improves oxygen flow and promotes better blood circulation, which can enhance your overall cardiovascular health. Also, deep breathing, real breathing, can aid in your detoxification by facilitating and removing the toxins throughout your uh, system, including your lung function, which helps you for the rest of the day. And I think that's worthy right there. Deep breathing techniques can assist you in managing and reducing chronic pain and relaxing muscles and increasing oxygen supply to tissues throughout your entire body. And it's absolutely free. And here's the thing, you can do it where you are right now. Nobody will really even notice what you're doing. You breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. You don't have to make a big thing of it. You don't have to put your hands together and sit in the lotus position. You can literally just do it right now, driving down the road, sitting at your desk, wherever you are. It also enhances your immune system. We talked about this a great deal during the whole COVID era, like increasing your immune system just by taking a deep breath. And it's more than one. Do it for a sustained period of time. Maybe start with four really deep cleansing breaths and then work up to where you're doing 10 or 20 in a short period of time. You know, Tony Robbins has a great, he calls it, a, it's a tapping technique. And I learned this about 20 years ago and I use it all the time. I've never forgotten it. He does uh, four sharp intakes through the nose and four out through the mouth all the while tapping your thumb to each of your four fingers on the count of one two three four you're tapping your fingers back and forth as you breathe in and out that's a little bit more to stimulate your system in a sudden rush but just i'm just talking about deep relaxing breathing that helps you focus helps everything look at this digestive systems are in, enhanced and elevate your gastrointestinal gastrointestinal system and comfort and relaxation of your abdominal muscles. The list goes on and on. Here's another one. Deep breathing can also aid in your sleep by inducing relaxation and reducing insomnia symptoms. I mean, there's just absolutely, I can't stop thinking of ways that you'll be benefited by simply taking a deep breath. We carry your burden. But not everybody knows how to take that deep breath. So you put your hand on your belly and you're going to breathe so deep that your hand actually on your stomach pushes out, not your chest. It chest finally swells and pushes out. But you got to start by filling that low part of your lung. So belly breathing is what they call it. Breathe right down from the diaphragm. When the waist is heavy but you won't What difference can you make? You can make the biggest difference where you are, right here, right now. 
there is somebody in your life that you may or may not know very well that is going through something you, you don't even understand or can't even imagine. And I think if each of us were just to take a minute and analyze and take stock of who we have in our life and what they might be going through and the burden they might be carrying and how alone they might feel right now in this moment, and your hand reached out in the form of even a phone call or a text message could make all the difference in the world. Pretty soon I see you smile, you know you will No matter how much you're hurting right now You know that everything will change in time Let me carry your burden, oh brother mine You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. When we return, we'll be going through The Millionaire Maker, the six practical steps to your first four homes. I want to give you those steps one by one and give you an opportunity to pick up this 30-page guide absolutely free. And we're going to talk about what you really, really want and Zig Ziglar on goal setting when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. With your Millionaire Minute, I'm Chris Story. Your golden ticket from the vault of the Backyard Millionaire. Never be the smartest person in the room. That's it, that's your golden ticket. Surround yourself with people that have more talent, ideas, and skills than you do. Be willing to be curious and transparent. Don't know the answer? Say so. You don't understand what this word means? It's okay for you to say, hold on, what do you mean by that? You should always wanna be the dumbest person in the room about something. Be willing to know what you don't know, and you can find someone who does. Never allow yourself to believe you hold all the answers. As soon as you do, you're going to stop asking questions. Be like the ocean. Let the rivers and streams run to you. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. From the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story. Listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Aisha Tyler said, success is not the absence of failure. It's the persistence through failure. Speaking of, I mentioned earlier that I've been doing public speaking for a long time, and that's true, um, better part of 20 years, and I enjoy it maybe more than I should, in part because of what I get out of it. And I just heard somebody the other day saying, you should never go to speak or approach public speaking from a standpoint of what you get. Sorry, I get such a rush out of helping people and watching a crowd of people respond to a message and making eye contact and absorbing. You can't help but get something out of it. Now, I don't go just for the high of you know, having, you know, adulation or applause or anything like that. But I go for what I get relative to the response to what I'm giving. Speaking matters. How you speak, how you communicate. You might be wanting to make changes in your backyard. You may be wanting to make changes at a local level, but you don't really know how to speak publicly. Dare I say you might be afraid of speaking publicly as 98% of us are. 
It's the odd person. It's the weirdo who wants to get up and, and perf- you know, speak and perform. Obviously, there are performances and then there is speaking designed to actually persuade or move somebody in a direction towards something that you believe in, which could also be performative. But the idea of getting up on stage with a microphone might scare you almost to a point of paralysis. And so what I want to do is give you some tips on how you can be more influential, more impactful, and speak in public in a way that could actually move you or your cause towards fruition and bring you something that you're looking for or looking to do, become, have, invest in. You might be needing to pitch to a group of investors. You might need be needing to speak to a council assembly, a group of people at a public forum or public meeting where you really want to get an idea across but you're actually not sure how to put it because you might be putting people off and that's the last thing you wanna do. You wanna be impactful with your speaking. So the first tip I would offer you on public speaking is to prepare and practice. It is okay to practice, to be rehearsed, but you don't want to be forced and you don't wanna be reading from just pure cue cards. You don't wanna be just reading a script, a prepared script. We can tell it's not as impactful. You know what it is? We're nervous for you. We're nervous you're going to screw up. We can see that you're following it point by point. We can see that your, your hand is shaking maybe on, this, on the, the paper or the document. We can see that you're just rigid in your form. We in the audience are paying less attention sometimes to what you're saying and more attention to how you're saying it or the fact that you're reading it point by point. But if you are prepared and you've practiced even with a child in your car, in front of your spouse or friends or somebody that you know and trust and you feel safe with, then you'll be so much better off, even if you have some bullet points to guide yourself with. You remember when Sarah Palin was criticized because she had a few things written on her hand? She was performing a speech, ad lib as she usually did, but she had a couple of bullet points written on her hand and pen, and the camera zoomed in on it, and then they being major media, mass media, what you call them? drive-by media would just they just tore her apart because she dare have some uh, prompt so what i would much rather have somebody speaking fluidly and naturally and then refer to a bullet point here and there that's wonderful so just be prepared and practice again and again and it's okay to practice in front of a mirror it's okay to practice when you're alone in your car like i said driving somewhere or in front of a family member or friend somebody that's not going to mock you mercilessly but might actually give you some real feedback before you get to the lectern or the stage even if you again the word stage even implies maybe that you're you know up on a stage and there's a podium and everything maybe not maybe the stage is actually sitting in a circle of people having an exchange of ideas and you want to get your idea out there you want to get your cause you want to get your movement started you want to get the loan you want to be able to influence investors whatever it is it doesn't have to just be the great stage of life it could be very small stage and even there comes the need to practice and be prepared know your audience that's another tip i'd offer you about public speaking know who you're speaking to know if you're speaking to a group of vegetarians probably not going to make a whole lot of uh you know wagyu beef jokes or comments or you know what i mean like that's a simplistic way of saying know your audience because it's the most fundamental, fundamental, maybe foundational way I could exa- give you an example. But you need to know who you're speaking to and get a better sense of how to prepare and how to practice for them, for that group. Because you might be talking to, for example, you might be talking to a group of very conservative people, politically, 
their lifestyle, everything. And you need to know that if you're trying to move that group or these people towards something that might be not naturally their inclination, you need to know who you're talking to before you prepare your, your notes, before you prepare your presentation. Uh, vice versa, if it's a group of liberal people, you're trying to persuade them towards um, maybe releasing or removing some regulations, getting government out of the path and, and creating purpose where people can find their own way forward, things like that. You want to know who you're talking to. Um, now, when it comes to visual aids or props, I'm okay with you using PowerPoint. However, we get stuck as an audience in PowerPoint hell watching your PowerPoint and for whatever else you do, do not read from your own PowerPoint. Oh, there is nothing worse than sitting in an audience, looking at somebody's back, reading to you a screen you could read for yourself. There shouldn't be anything to read. Your bullet points or your point or your picture or your image on a screen should only emphasize or add a, a, a period or an exclamation point to a point you've already made. That's it. It isn't to make the point. It's to emphasize a point you're making. I personally, me, I threw this in there because a lot of people use PowerPoint. It's just sort of become the parlance of public speaking, TED Talks, all the whole nine. I mean, people are using PowerPoints every day now in their speech. I don't care. I don't. I never do. Probably never will. I shouldn't say never, but I, I don't see a day where I'm going to use PowerPoint. If anything, the last presentation I did, I actually brought a brown paper bag. There's something very retro and funky about that. It looked like my lunch sack. And in it, I had three props. I had two books I'd written that I wanted to make points about, Backyard Millionaire and Born to Live. And because that the subtitle Born to Live is Finding Purpose on the Road to Hope. So I was talking to people about their purpose in life. And I was talking to them about creating change and wealth and opportunity in their own backyard. And then I had a small spoon size golden shovel. Those were my props. Those were my way of making the exclamation point at the end of a sentence or a point I was making without relying, relying on PowerPoint. You do you, but please, if you use these kinds of points, bullet points um, on, a, on a PowerPoint or visual prop, it needs to be simplistic. It needs to be like right now I can get it and I don't have to stop and read it. And for whatever else you do, don't you read it to us. Don't do that. Oh, and here's another thing about if you're going to hand out a presentation, if you're going to hand out uh, backup material, do it after your presentation. So if you have materials that you want to hand out to emphasize or, or to, to submit to the audience, you know, as, as fact, points of fact, or whatever it is, maybe you just want to give them the, the booklet with which you're, you're promoting or whatever it is, don't hand out that material until after your presentation. Because when you do, when you hand me that piece of material, I'm going to be reading it. I'm going to be looking at it, and, and you've lost probably a third of the audience. Here's a big one. Body language and eye contact. Eye contact came natural to me, but it wasn't until I actually went to a speaker's convention in San Diego, California, that I understood the actual power of eye contact. The, the promoter, Roberto, he was so powerful with eye contact. If you want to make a difference with one person or 20 or 2,800, making, maintaining, and keeping some eye contact and not just scanning, but the stopping, pausing, real connection. The eyes are the soul, the window to the soul of every human being, every single person. And when you stop and make eye contact, you make a deeper connection. 
And again, the bigger the group, the harder that is to do, but you can still do it. And even if you're not making eye contact with me, I can sense that you're making eye contact with other people and I'm gonna be right there at the edge of my seat. And when you, when you do reach me, then that's even that much more powerful. But it also emphasizes the point that you are a human being talking to one person at a time, even if it's across 2,800 people. Body language, we know when you're nervous, there's, there's uh, little names for, for people that fidget with their ring. For example, that's called the ringmaster. Anybody who sits there and fidgets with their, their wedding ring or a ring on their finger, you know, and twirls it. Um, there's people that, you know, pace awkwardly. There's different, you know, sort of little kinetic ticks that we all have, and especially that gets heightened when you're nervous. So eliminate that through practice. Eliminate it by just taking a deep cleansing breath at the very beginning. Um, the last presentation I did, I just stood there for a moment and it might've seemed like maybe is this guy, what, what happened? Is, is, I was just collecting myself and I was just absorbing the moment and I was a witness to my own nerves. I was a witness to the own, to my own, uh, trepidation about grabbing the microphone and then beginning to share my ideas. When I'm sharing my ideas in front of you, it's always the most vulnerable state possible versus doing an auction or versus making an introduction or emceeing an event, but sharing ideas publicly, that's where the nerves really start to bubble up. And when you just collect yourself and control your body, feel that vibration of nervousness, the butterflies, feel it all, and just breathe through it. And almost from above, witness yourself standing there, sitting there, whatever it is, wherever you are, and just be at peace with it and recognize, oh, this is, this is gonna be okay. And then we get to relax as an audience when we see you relax. Makes a big difference, especially if you're trying to connect with people and make a difference in the world. And I know that you are. And finally, I guess I would just elevate this whole idea. All of this can be elevated or ruined. You could follow all of these other points and then ruin it by not actually telling me a story. If you're willing to tell me a story, if you're willing to use storytelling woven into your point, we will remember what you've got to say for a long, long time. Remember what Maya Angelou said. We'll forget what you said. We'll forget what you did. But we'll never forget how you made us feel. How well do you know the history of the greatest leverage on earth? That's right, the mortgage. Plus, your millionaire maker, Six Secrets from the Backyard Millionaire. When we return, stick around. Thank you, sir. You're listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story, along with Mr. David Webb, the Eagle producing and engineering this broadcast. Thank you for being here. Somebody just texted in that uh, they're blessed that we were on air yesterday and today, two days in a row. Well, thank you, Ron. Appreciate that. It's time for What a Word, presented today by the Backyard Millionaire book, available online at ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash books. The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Available, like I said, at ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash books. And may I simply say, that if you know somebody who's ready to launch into the world or wants to recalibrate their life or go somewhere different with their investment strategy or just any walk of life, this could be the book that pushes them towards that new 
path and could create a whole new way of life for them. The Backyard Millionaire, available at ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash books. And I say that with all humility as the author. By the way, the audio version is fantastic. Michael Dukes is a, a gifted narrator, and it's available on Audible as well. It's time for what a word. Again, uh, today's word is unusual. It's Latin in origin, 16th century. And I'm going to give you the definition first. It means triviality or frivolity, a trivial or frivolous thing or idea. All right. It's trivial from the Latin, Latin 16th century. And the word is nugacity. <gasps> nugacity. When I read this word spelled N-U-G-A-C-I-T-Y, I thought of one thing. You too? Nugacity. Yeah. And here, let me use it in a sentence. It might explain what I thought of. And maybe it's the same as you. The third musketeer stuck his thumb in the last candy, screaming at the nugacity of all the chocolates left. They were all nougat-filled. Nugacity. How many times have you heard someone say, rich life starts with your mindset. How do you see yourself in this world? How do you see yourself impacting this world? And what goals are you setting for yourself? In a moment, I'm going to share Zig Ziglar's main points, at least the main takeaways I've taken from Zig Ziglar reading his books over the years on goal setting. But first, I want to share with you the backyard millionaire formula for success in any walk of life. And again, it's the golden sho shovel formula. Leverage multiplied times effort equals reward. But again, this isn't just real estate investment. Yes, it works with real estate, but also works with your health, wealth, everything. Wealth meaning your job, your current income, prosperity, as Buckminster Fuller put it, is the amount of income you have going forward without working for it. That's your real estate. But this formula of leverage multiplied by effort can work to create any reward in life you want. For example, if you'd like to increase your reward, you can apply more effort to anything you're doing. This is called working harder. Like you can pedal the bike harder and faster. Or you can increase leverage. So either side of that equation, you can increase the, the leverage or the effort. So if you increase leverage, this is called working smarter. It's like digging a ditch with your hands or using a shovel. Okay, it's like digging a ditch with a shovel or with a backhoe. Or going back to your bicycle, you could add a motor to it. So if the goal, though, is to get fit, you're going to want to increase the effort side of the equation and decrease the leverage. So that means your muscles are going to grow faster and you're going to get more fitness, cardiovascular health, and everything else. So you can use that formula and apply it to anything you want in life. The golden shovel formula, leverage times effort equals reward. And remember what Archimedes said, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it and I shall move the world. One of the greatest forms of leverage ever invented and devised by mankind is the mortgage. It's the ultimate golden shovel. 
So did you know that the concept of mortgages in the United States can be traced back to the colonial era? Did you know that? Settlers would use land as collateral to secure loans all the way back to the colonial days. First actual formal mortgage company in the United States was in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Contribution Ship for the, um, what do they call it? It was for the insurance of houses from loss of fire. Uh, it was established in 1752. The modern mortgage, of course, didn't start until the 20th century, around 1934, when the FHA came into existence. And then, of course, the Federal National Mortgage Association, Fannie Mae, followed in 1938. So it's pretty interesting when you think about the way a 30-year fixed mortgage really became most popular in about 1950, and that made homeownership a reality and a possibility for all of us. Amorte, amortization, to kill off slowly over time to kill off the mortgage with an interest applied. However, mortgages or loans used to be on a rolling five-year renewal. You had to balloon every five years, three to five years, and you had to pay it off in full or recast the entire loan starting from scratch. So the 30-year fixed mortgage with an amortization table, yes, it's front-loaded for interest, but the point is you and I get access to the market uh, like uh, people that have, uh, you know, royalty, for example, going back into pre, you know, pre-America, pre-colonial days, that only the royalty and the land barons could own land and people that had titles and so forth. This has made it possible for the American dream to come true, that your right to home ownership is within your reach. Did you know bowling was illegal in England from like uh, 1300 f till 16? 17 or something like that even in 1800 america bowling was illegal in many states nine pin bowling because the puritans and others felt that it would encourage gambling and drinking and so forth so to get around it the americans crafty americans created what we now know as bowling which is actually 10 pin bowling so oh you're going to outlaw nine pin bowling no problem we'll create 10 pin bowling there's only like a dozen nine pin bowling alleys in america all the rest are 10 pin interesting so what do you really want in life be careful what you say you want because you might just get it and you better want what it is you're aiming at zig ziglar is one of the greatest speakers of all time and he really emphasized goal setting. Here's a few of his main points. Have your goals clearly defined and written down. A goal that's not written down, he called a wish. And wishes rarely come true. So write down your goals and be very clear and specific. Become a meaningful specific, he said, versus a wandering generality. Also, he said, make sure they're measurable and have a, a, a way to measure and a metric by which to measure your own growth towards that goal. So it's not enough just to have it. You have to be able to measure it. I should be able to come along, read a goal that you wrote six months ago, meet you now, six months later, and go, hmm, have you gotten closer to it or further away from it? Or are you right where you were? Should be measurable. That's for you, not me, but that's for you. But I should be able to help you by looking at your goals and going, hmm, you're not making any progress here. You want to be able to make progress. Also, break them into smaller steps. It's the old adage about how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. If you overburden yourself, and trust me, I've done this many times, many goal-setting workshops have I left the scene of and gone, yes, going to conquer the world in six months. And then two years later, I'm going, hmm, I'm still working on that. Well, it wasn't realistic, one, 
Two, it probably wasn't as measurable as it ought to have been. And three, I didn't break it into small enough steps so that I could start taking action today. And that's the other thing. Tony Robbins put it beautifully about goal setting. Never leave the scene of a goal setting workshop or a work or some sort of a goal setting event, even if it's just you, where you do not have at least one thing you can go do and take action on immediately. So that's important. And then uh, setting a deadline. That's another thing Zig Ziglar said. You've got to set a deadline. Otherwise, this goal of yours will have no end in sight. And there's a really good chance, better than good chance, that you just simply won't achieve it. With your Millionaire Minute, I'm Chris Story. Being afraid to fail is its own form of failure. If you get too comfortable where you are, in the safety zone of the known and familiar, you may not fail in the normal sense of the word, yet you maybe feel like one anyway. Whittier said, for all the sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. Look before you leap, but don't stare. Make a plan, but leave room for the white space of improvisation. Never let it be said that you could have been, or worse yet, if only I'd acted when. In this moment, you've got a chance. Look failure straight in the face and say, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Ghosts? That's all fear really is, isn't it? From the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story. Well, I've gone and done it. As a gas bag that I am, I've taken up all the space in the program. Haven't had a chance to talk about the Millionaire Maker Secrets from the Backyard Millionaire. Six Practical Steps to Your First Four Homes. Here's what I'd like to do is offer this book. It's a, it's a little workbook, if you will. I'll offer it to you absolutely free. I want to email it to you in a PDF. Simply text message the word millionaire at 907-299-7653, 907-299-7653. Just text the word millionaire and I'm going to send you a PDF copy of six practical steps to your first four homes, the millionaire maker. It's a step-by-step -step guide to becoming a backyard millionaire. Absolutely free, no strings attached and no... Uh, no agenda here. I just literally want to share this with you with as many people as possible. Remember, our ultimate goal with the Backyard Millionaire is to impact and affect 2,000 people in the next 24 months to become Backyard Millionaires. It starts with your mindset. It starts with how you see yourself in the world. And I do see you. For all of us here at the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story reminding you to look forward in life, learn from your past, and never forget that the good life is lived right here in the present. We'll see you next time.